Imagine being present, calm, and connected while creating a family environment where everyone can thrive. Welcome to the I Am Mom Parenting Podcast, providing inspiration and actionable steps to manifest the meaningful and magical life you desire for you and your family. We are your hosts, Dimple Aurora, founder of Mindful Evolution and Shaista Fateli, founder of Thrive Kids. Thank you for sharing the I Am Mom journey with us. Let's get started. Welcome to another episode on the podcast. This week, we continue with our series on expert guests. This week's guest shares with us a powerful story that shatters many cultural expectations and who many would say break some unwritten rules and disrupt social norms. This is a story of inspiration, admiration, and above all, courage and hope. Today we have with us Nashina. She is a registered therapeutic counselor and workshop facilitator. Nashina offers an integrative approach to therapy, helping to identify patterns, narratives, and behaviors that may stem from a number of causes. Her passion and purpose is to light a matchstick for others to find their way. And she has quite the experience in finding her way. Her life journey has not followed the chronological cultural norms of what it means to be a good brown girl, resulting in decades of battle against shame, anxiety, feeling not good enough. And after years of therapy, of unlearning, forgiveness, and letting go, Nashina understands our inherent value lies in who we are, not what we do. So thank you so much for joining us, Nashina. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here with the both of you today. We are so excited to have you. And just hearing that bio, I just feel so, I don't even know what the word is, but just like this sense of like warmth and just empowerment myself, just hearing that. And I'm just so eager to learn more about you. So tell us, tell us who you are. Who is Nashina? Who was Nashina growing up? Tell us everything. We want to know your family <laughs> history and all. How much time do we have? <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it's, you know, to, to give a sort of, first of all, thank you for that warm introduction. And um, it's nice to hear that people feel or, or sort of resonate with, with another's experience. That was, that's kind of the brunt of what both of you do. So it's so beautiful. Um, yeah, growing up. Um, so here in, in Burnaby, you know, Vancouver, BC is born and raised. Um, I have an older sister. She's three years older than myself. Um, you know, my folks, story in terms of how they came to be here, um, you know, was one of turmoil. I'm sure many can relate um, or know of sort of coming forth from Uganda at the time of Idi Amin. Um, there was a lot of political unrest. And so the way in which I think my parents landed here, I feel is important because that's such a foundational piece to the way in which my sister and I were raised, um, which comes from, you know, a real deeply rooted story of what I call and what I can 
speak to is really familiar for myself as like this lack of belonging, um, slow level kind of chronic sort of anxiety hovering, hovering through. And so, um, you know, the dynamics in my household um, were stressful growing up, right? It was, it was a little bit um, of anxiety on my mom's side. I think she's just sort of this really hypervigilant, go, 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 go. She was like the doer of the family, um, you know, a pot in one hand and a vacuum in the other sort of situation. That's <laughs> the way, the way it sort of looked at any given time. Um, you know, and, and she stayed at home. My mom, my mom, um, you know, had some disabilities. She's legally blind. Um, and, you know, as time has progressed and age has come, come forth, you know, she's got other sort of chronic ailments. And so I witnessed my mom in an interesting position where she was like both super strong and um, kind of like a doer and independent, but yet like vulnerable and really dependent um, on my dad and on others. And so it was a really interesting thing to witness. And then there was my dad who um, struggled from a really young age with chronic mental health, you know, bouts of really severe depression. Um, and that was not spoken about. It was referenced as a bad mood. Yeah. And so my relationship to sort of witnessing these really massive dips and falls and this like level of reactive, frightening behavior, um, I understood as a bad mood, which was dangerous, you know, like as I start to, as I grew up. Um, and so, you know, I would say that it was just a time of, um, we had joyful times, of course, in our, in our upbringing, uh, but it really was, um, I would say my childhood was full of a lot of confusion mm -hmm. around like emotions and roles and um, how to be honest and transparent. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, I think you describe the upbringing of quite a few people. Um, and in particular, um, a lot of us as smileys in our age, in our um, generation grew up this way, right? Because a lot of our parents had had to flee Fly, 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 flee from <laughs> flee from East Africa nice. for that same reason. And that anxiety that our parents had um, transferred over, right, into their new place of dwelling and really influenced their parenting because they wanted to keep us safe. Mm -hmm. It um, manifested in different ways, right? And um I think that that really does influence us as we are growing up. So how did that impact you growing up? Yeah, um, so, you know, in the beginning, I think in my younger years, um, it sort of translated into understanding where I was like of service and where I kind of got that, you know, pat on the back, if you will. And so I quickly found out that um, much like my mom, sort of the helper, the doer, the fixer, um, always keen to kind of help with a chore, do a task, and not because I wanted to do it, but because I knew that meant that that would hopefully lessen her anxiety and then potentially the, you know, anxious climate of the home at large. Mm -hmm. And so 
at that age and stage, I did not know it to the degree in which I'm sharing it now. But looking back, it was like I was very much sort of this emotional sponge um, of, the, of the family. And so I was really like at my mom's hip, ready to kind of jump in and help. And so very quickly, um, the roles of you know, who I was and where I was considered to be good uh, was really in my service in the home, Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. chores, domestic kind of hat, if you will. And my sister, um, you know, really bright and super intelligent, really charismatic, outgoing. And so therein, you know, was a really defined path of, oh, okay, she's this and I'm I'm that. this is kind of how it sort of perpetuated in my younger childhood. And then when I sort of started to sneak up into kind of my early teen years, recognizing that that was not really working for me or for us any longer, it went to the polar opposite end of the spectrum in like full-blown rebellion. Yeah. Right? Complete just sort of retaliation. You know, I find that's a very common story in, in, in our South Asian community. And everybody in the family unit really takes on this, you know, clearly defined role. And it's based on age and, and gender and, and even social class, right? And so everybody has this idea of how they should function in the family, whether it's authentic to who they are or not. Mm-hmm. And was your sister younger or older, or were you the older? She's three years older than, than me. Oh, she's older. Okay. Yeah. And yeah. so you took on this role and, and really it's to save face, to keep peace in the home, to lessen the anxiety. And so that came to mind for me. And the other thing that came to mind for me is this whole idea of how you said your dad's mental health was referred to as a bad mood. That's also very common and it's so misunderstood in our culture, the idea, um, the stigma around mental health issues, right? It's either referred to as a bad mood or referred to as, you know, some evil, you know, spirits that person has, is carrying or something like that, right? So it's just completely misunderstood. So as you rebelled and you went through those teenage years uh, disconnected from maybe doing the right things or having, you know, being in tune with your emotions. I'm sure you went on some detours, right? (laughs) And so can you tell us a little bit about how that impacted your teenage years and what that led to for you? Yeah. I mean, you're, you're kind of, right on the on the point there at Dimple and like a few detours to say the least absolutely um you know and before I kind of dive into that I think it's worth mentioning that sort of this chapter of my life you know was 20 years ago so in terms of sort of potentially how um this may pan out in lifetime in our day and age now I'm sure that looks quite different um but you know one of the many detours was at um 21 years old and at 21 years old i had found out that i was pregnant and um, i was not married i was in what i would now refer to as like in a highly emotionally toxic um possibly 
emotionally abusive, you know, relationship. And that went both ways. Um, and, and that's kind of, you know, me on the accountability train on that. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was not a climate or an environment in which, you know, bringing into this world a child was, was a favorable thing, right? Like it was, I was in no way uh, mature enough emotionally or mentally to, to navigate that terrain. Um, and so with that was fear, right? Like massive fear and worry and concern, um, more so about how is this going to be perceived? How is this going to look? Um, How many fingers are going to point at me walking around being the carrier? Like there's no way to hide this, right? Like, you know, his father sort of um, was not even in Vancouver at the time. And so I almost felt like I was in the middle of a circus ring, just kind of on show, on display. And so it was a really vulnerable, scary, scary time for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, I think that there's so much, as you said, there was expectations in your family of you that you rebelled against, but there's also expectations within our faith-based community right? And um, particularly at that time, and I'm sure that that had an impact on you as well, right? And really played into this fear, like, how are people going to view me? How are people going to view my family? What kinds of things are they going to say, right? And when you became pregnant, or you found out that you were pregnant, what was the first thing that you did? Oh gosh, that's a great question. I think I went probably three times over to get confirmation. Right? It's like, okay, is this really happening? Is this really happening? And this was an unplanned pregnancy. Correct. Right? Yes, yes, correct. Um, and so what one of the first things I I did, I remember, was I, t- I told my sister. Um, she was one of the first people that I went to, to share this with, aside from obviously my, my son's father. Um, and then it was on the DL, like Mm. it was on mad lockdown. There was just nothing to leave my lips. And that was deliberate. You know, I think when I, when I reflect on the reason why I think a huge fear for me was that I was not willing to do anything other than have this child. Mm. So I thought, okay, if I just keep this quiet for five months, then, then I'm just going to share it. And that's that, right. Then this is happening. (laughs) And so that's what I did. I was quiet until I was five months. Um, and luckily I was not showing. So it, it, it didn't, that portion of it didn't affect me, but I waited a long time before I sat down and had that conversation. Um, and just to speak to your point, which is such a good one, should I say around sort of expectations and perceptions, you know, I, I, I think it's, it's, it wouldn't be fair if I didn't say at this age of my life, at the stage in my 20s, well before that, I had already really removed myself and, and felt very sort of disconnected from the community. Mm-hmm. Um, that was by choice and, and for no other reason than just self-discovery around like religion and spirituality and what that meant for me. And there was always like this innate deep, deep calling of like 
not quite feeling in alignment um, with it. And so I, I did step away on my own accord. So I can't say that I felt rejected by or abandoned by our mm -hmm. community and culture. Mm -hmm. um, it was more what you said around what is the impact going to be on my family, on my parents who were very devout, who were very religious, who went every Friday, who were very well known in the community. That was my primary concern is like, this is really going to bring shame. And mm -hmm. then in turn, if this brings shame, then I should be ashamed. Right. That was the, the def immediate connection. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and what was your parents' response when you did break that silence? Yeah, um, my, I remember this so vividly. Um, I was, my mom was doing laundry. She was folding clothes in the living room. And I went downstairs and I sat, sat down and I just like blurted out. And all she kept saying in, in our language is, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, over and over and over again. And yet she might be so upset that I'm sharing this, but she was like, she was not mad. And I was shocked by that shock. She was, I would, I would argue, she'll never admit this to you guys, but I would argue she almost smiled. Like there was almost that, which was so weird. And I did not expect that. In fact, it was my dad that had the most, uh, the, the reaction that I thought my mom would had, mm -hmm. uh, had rather, um, and so I don't know what that was for her till, till this day, um, but my dad had a really hard time and my dad didn't speak to me for months and um, it caused a great deal of discord in the house for sure. Yeah, yeah, definitely. There, mu there must have been, uh, if he didn't speak to you for months, that means it prolonged through your pregnancy. Yeah. And so where did you find the strength? And I know you've mentioned your sister quite a few yeah. times. Yeah. And it sounds like she was a source of strength for you. Mm. And were there any other aspects that helped you get through this tough time? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I will say that my dad, you know, rolled around really quickly thereafter. And I think that my family, my immediate family was a foundational piece in me sitting here with you today. Like, mm -hmm. I could cry just talk, just saying that out loud. Like they were very much um, under all of the conditions in which our faith, our culture, our community boxes into good or bad, right or wrong. Um, my parents um, have unlearned so much through my story about what it means to be compassionate and open and accepting and non-judgmental. And so for that, I just am really grateful. Um, so that was a huge foundational piece of strength. But I have a weird relationship with this, I guess, this piece around strength, because certainly there there was, you know, I have solid friendships in my life, um, like ride or die girls, right? Like the ones that would, I mean, in our twenties, what's happening? Like everyone's going to hit the club and yeah. right. I, I was not. And so they would come over and do the, you know, do the little pre whatever. And I would sip on my water whatever it was, <laughs> um, and then they would head out. And, and it, I had those types of friends, like, you know, a lot of them dropped like flies. So I won't, I won't say that it wasn't lonely. Um, but the, the few that hung around are the ones that are with me today. 
Um, and so like, I can't for one second say that I was totally alone. I felt lonely for sure, but I was not alone. Um, so that I'm really grateful for, but the strength piece is sort of, I think sometimes to speak about or to not reference how many times I crumbled, um, would be difficult because I only derived that strength after I let myself crumble. Mm-hmm. Right? Like I only found the capacity <clears throat> to kind of like, okay, here we go today. After I let myself fall to my knees. And I think that's important to say out loud, right? Because that I was That is, I just want you to say that again, because I think that has the big impact, right? That, mm-hmm. I let myself crumble before I found the strength. Like just even hearing those words, like you're, you're absolutely right. I think it's so important to acknowledge that, right? And to know that sometimes we do, we are in these places for a reason and we may have to crumble in order to pick up these pieces. Yes. Yeah. I, I felt so uncomfortable at times with people referencing particularly publicly, which came from nothing but love. I know this, right. And I take it in my heart, but there is this misconception and this sort of like stamp that we put on women um, and mothers um, that is fueled with pressure about being strong and Mm. right. And, and that can get dangerous and it can perpetuate this pattern of then, okay, like, So then am I to isolate myself in my sadness and in my crumble and in my, like, I'm on my knees on the bathroom floor, legit trying to get through the day, which I had many, um, I had days where my son was finally in kindergarten and I would get up to drop him off, crawl right back into bed and get out of bed seven minutes before I walked up the hill to go grab him because I could not do the day. Mm -hmm. I just couldn't, um, And so it's really, yeah, it's really important to make mention of that, that it's not every day is going to be one of strength, right? It's so important to make that point. And and the idea of acknowledging and processing our feelings, right? And this is what we want to teach our young people and and especially um, women and, and young girls who are growing up that, and, and the boys as well, right? The young boys as well, that it's important to acknowledge and then process the feelings. So that just what a remarkable journey. And I'm just so curious to know, because we're talking about, you know, breaking these stigmas in the community. I love that you said your parents had a lot to unlearn, because I find that's the way it works, right? Is that your child shows up maybe with a different sexual preference or a situation such as what you were in or you know going um a different direction in the career that's not maybe fully accepted in society right and and that's how how we learn and they say it takes about three generations Mm -hmm. uh, of being here in the dominant to adopt the dominant culture or more open mindset or whatever it is but that's so important to note. So thank you for sharing that so far. So I'm so curious to know what the reaction was from the community though, and, and how your parents faced that and were they shamed and were, you know, so tell us about that. 
Yeah, I mean, I I will say, you know, uh, this is most of it was kind of hearsay, right? So I would I kind of hear through the proverbial grapevine, <laughs> you know, that good old gossip chain mm -hmm. as to what was happening because I did not go um, to mosque, you know, long before again, right? Long before I was already kind of disconnected, but um, I also didn't go on even you know bigger occasions because I was walking. I was walking news, right? Like it felt very vulnerable. And so, um, yeah, there was a lot of that sort of um, undercut inquiry and behind the scenes comments and where's your daughter? And, oh, I heard she got married when you know I didn't get married. And, <laughs> you know, all of these types of things that yeah. would happen. And so I think the, you know, the response around my extended family too is really like some were super supportive. Some were really, um, you know, advocating for us to just get married so it would look yeah. more acceptable. Um, my parents, I'm sure face, they, you know, this is the other thing about my parents, not once did they say a word to me about who said what about what. I never heard them come back from mosque and say, look what you're, look, Nashina, what you've caught. Like, I never heard that leave their lips. Um, and so, you know, it's, I'm, I'm grateful for that too, because I think there's a level of them knowing that I was already carrying so much guilt and shame from the experience. They didn't want to add to that, but I'm, I, I would say that they, they bumped up against their stuff when they walked in. I mean, all eyes, right? Um, and all the aunties <laughs> questions. And this is the thing too about my group of girlfriends. You know, I had some, and my sister, I had some, some people in my life that were not afraid to check people, you know, and kind of just um, really stop the conversation and, and not engage. And um, I think we need more of that. I think we need more um, women for women, <laughs> kind of not really diving into this as Brene Brown references it, which I absolutely love, like hot, hot wiring connection through gossip, right? Like there's nothing okay about that. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I, I think that they, they faced it, but I also think that they um, moved through with grace as best as they could. One uh, theme that I keep hearing from you is this uh, concept of love and this unconditional love. And I think we hear this term quite a bit, but you, this is the perfect example of what unconditional love is. It is so pure, so real, so true. And this is what your parents had for you, right? Even though, I mean, I know exactly those who are Ismaili know exactly what you're saying. You walk into mosque and you have these people who are who are going to talk, who are going to um, ask these questions, which, you know, comes from a not so great place and puts this shame and uh, guilt upon you. And for them to shelter that from you because they love you so much. And that permeated to their grandson. I am 100% sure about that because that comes off as well from you. Even prior to recording our podcast, you were talking about your son and how um, open he is with you. And it's because of this love that you share with him that is unconditional, that has come from your parents. 
Oh, yeah, you're just hitting all sorts of things in my heart. right? <laughs> now. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you couldn't have said it more beautifully. So I'm, I am super curious when you had your beautiful son and you had the sweet little baby, what was the response? Oh my God. I'm like, what do I do with this thing? (laughs) (laughs) I had no clue, ladies. Like, I mean, you know, there's something really interesting. I think about this often. I think about, you know, in, in our twenties, right? This is such an egocentric narcissistic age right like yeah totally. so kind of like and there's something that was actually really great about that for me um in a way which is an odd thing to say because I think like parenting um by by just nature of being in that age and still being a little bit self-obsessed if you will um created a dynamic where I I, I invested in my son, of course, and I was there and I was involved and I was present, but I also wanted to like still go out if I could. And I still wanted to like do the things. And, and I did, I remember when my son was three, my girlfriend got married, um, in Hawaii and my sister was generous enough to support me on that trip and and take me. And people were like alarmed, like you're leaving him and oh my God, and what are you doing? And I was so taken aback by this response of like, you know, I'm, I'm, he's fine. He'll be with my parents. Mm -hmm. And I remember calling my son just to say hi. And, um, he, he he just sounded so okay. And I kind of think about that time. And I think of, think about sort of that balance of, um, creating room for separation with him. Um, and when I was present, I was present, like, you know, it's that idea of, you know, quantity time versus quality or the other way around. Right. Um, and so with that, I, I, I think I'm, this is a long roundabout answer to your, to your question, but I feel like a bit of my, um, youth played a really big factor. That dose of kind of being naive really helped in that way. But I think too, I mean, just from an energetic standpoint of being in your twenties and, raising a, a baby um you know as I watch my dear friends do it now I'm like oh man like that was a lot easier at that age too right um but it was it was a, it was a fun time I think once I got past the fear of um am I gonna break him what's gonna happen what does the cry mean like I didn't really understand all that but the first time I remember when my son I could differentiate um, a gassy smile from a legit smile. (laughs) When I saw that, I just thought, oh my God, like, I think I can do this. I think I'm going to be okay. Like, I'm going to figure this out. Yeah. And you fast forward 20 years later, almost 20 years later, and you did figure it out. You did do it and you were okay. Indeed. And so... Now you had, you were pregnant at 21, but at 24 is when you became a single mom. Yeah. And I'm sure there was a lot of challenges that you faced as not only a young mom, but a single mom. And in today's 20 years later, I'm sure those are similar. There are similar challenges as there were 20 years ago, what kind of advice would you give to someone who is maybe in the same situation? Mm. 
Yeah, the it's tough, right? Like I just I feel like it's a matter of um, trusting as much as one can under those circumstances um, that intuitively, you know, life will guide you, right? Like to, to sort of trust that um, what is happening to us is happening for us. And I think at that, it's, it's hard to say that too out loud because, you know, at a certain age, it's really hard to surrender into that kind of realm of thinking. I, I totally get that. Um, but certainly that comes forward, right? Show up as best as you can and know that that's enough on that day for that minute, <laughs> however you can, right? It's just taking it easy, being graceful with yourself, being compassionate with yourself. Um, holding really true, like then I couldn't label them as my value system. But now when I look back, I know that I have that in tow um, and using that as your true north, right? Like as your compass to help lock you down and take you to tomorrow. <laughs> Sometimes that's all you can do. Amazing. And it's so, um, I love how you said that we, it's hard to adopt that realm of thinking when you're you know, when you're so young and until you have some life experience, then you realize and you look back and you reflect and you realize how that situation was perhaps a blessing or, mm. or just something that you had to go through. And so what would you say to anyone right now who is feeling the pressure of cultural backlash or living for the society or staying silent and just holding their voice inside because they cannot speak their truth in the society like what would you say to these women right now yeah, yeah this this might sound a little bit you know cliche um but I think it's important to to really weed out um you know, who, who and where you can go to, like, who are the ones that can kind of be your sounding board, um, even if it is one individual, um, because it will, and it can get so easy to look at everyone who is judging or pointing or shunning, shaming, silencing you. Um, and sometimes, sometimes, you know, kind of taking a few steps back and, settling into a place where you can start to like garner your strength and your courage may feel like you're not doing anything, but it almost feels like it's the preparation, right? It's kind of like sitting back and kind of really getting super clear on the how to, like, if this is what I want, if I do want to speak up, if I do want to share, if I do want to be bold and courageous and brave, maybe that requires that I sit back a little bit and reflect on how. How am I going to do that? Where is it going to come from inside of me? And that's not a waste of time. That's precious time. And so sometimes not doing nothing is maybe, maybe the most bold and courageous thing we can do, right? To sort out our next steps. Mm -hmm. um, and and I, I will say that there was a, a big pocket of, I use that word kind of weeding out, and I don't mean it in a disrespectful way, but there were a lot of people that had to go. <laughs> You know, there were a lot of people that sort of had to be removed um, and distanced 
um, in support and pursuit of who and where I wanted to go and how I was going to get there. And so don't, don't be afraid to sort of um, create space and, and distance from that because that will create space and room for, for the people and, and, and the types of experiences that will carry you forward, right? Like that is going to happen, but you can't make space for the new if you're not sort of releasing the old. It just doesn't work that way. Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. And I, I just, I have to ask this, like what would you, how do we instill this into our kids right now? This, this courageous uh, confidence for yeah. them to be themselves and to not always adhere to what is expected of them. Yeah. Oh, isn't that like the, the hope of our life when it comes to have what we want for our children? Um, you know, Again, this sounds super simplistic, but I think, you know, and Shaisa, you could probably speak to this more so, but I think children are observers more than listeners, right? And so to kind of watch us do what we want them to do is the best way <laughs> to sort of help them really gain a sense and an understanding of what does this look like? Like, what does brave and courageous coupled with compassion of course what does that look like what does that sound like and how best to learn it than to witness it and so I'm a massive advocate of that I'm a huge 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 believer in cleaning up my crap with my with my kid I cannot tell you how many conversations we have had at age appropriate times where I apologize for what I didn't know mm -hmm. It's really, really important because we are not walking perfection by any means, right? Yeah, absolutely. I'm kind of like just listening and don't even know how to respond to that because I think it's just so beautiful. And from an outsider looking in, you have definitely done that because your son is on this trajectory of, of such... Um, empowerment right and making these choices from himself and having the strength within him and not following what is societally acceptable right like oh you know you're gonna go here you're gonna do this and you were mentioning before too like even with with um family you know well you should by this time have a major or a goal where with him he's more like I'm going to take my time and figure out what it is that really ignites this fire. And it may take me a few tries to get there, but I will get there eventually. And he's trusting this process because he's seen it and you have modeled it yourself. And I think there's also this element that um, you have brought up a few times around being really gentle with yourself and patient, right? And taking the necessary minute steps to get to the, those bigger goals. Mm -hmm. And I think that you have modeled that so well in, um, in, in reference to um, taking the time to also feeling these emotions and coming to a place where um, you feel like you can't go on, right? And acknowledging that, because that is where you will get, a, get to a point where you will make that next small 
step. And again, that was modeled with you. And I think for kids as well, when they see that with us, that will give them that confidence and that courage that they can get there. They don't have to get there tomorrow and they don't have to take that big leap. Right. They can take that small leap and take that time. Absolutely. Sheena, thank you so much for sharing all of this insight with us today. It's been so inspiring, heartfelt, and just so beautiful to hear you speak. You have the most beautiful, warm voice. And I can tell that you have the most warm, beautiful soul as well. So thank you. Thank you so much. And I'm sure that this conversation has definitely ignited a matchstick for others to find their way. Where can our listeners find you? Oh, that, uh, so you could probably, the best place to reach me at is, is usually by email. So I'd love to throw out a bunch of social media handles at you guys, but I'm old school. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's at Nashina, uh, N-A-S-H-I-N-A at harborcw.com. Um, and my website is harbor, harborcw.com. If you wanted to check out um, a bit more about me and my offerings there. Beautiful. Beautiful. Well, thank you so much and have an amazing rest of the day. And we really appreciate you. Yeah, I really appreciate you having me. And I'd really love to leave you with this nugget. I I just wanted to speak to the work that the both of you are doing. Um, You know, is just if I had this, if I had a little bit of what you're offering to so many women um, that need it most. I mean, I'm grateful for my journey. I might've sped it up a little bit along the way had I had (laughs) something like this. So I just feel so grateful to have been on and to have been in the company of two women that are for women. I think it's amazing. Oh, thank you so much, Nishina. Um, beautiful conversation, super inspiring. And we just, love you and love your soul you're amazing have a great day and thanks for having me on thank you thank you take care thank you for joining us on the i am mom parenting journey if you enjoyed today's episode please follow us and head on over to itunes to leave us a review we invite you to check out the show notes for this episode and click on the link to join our free facebook community to stay connected and continue the conversation with other like-minded moms. Until next time, stay inspired, take action, and create magic.